So I'll begin by um, uh, just personally saying thank you for your practice. Uh, and, um, and I hope there's been some benefit for you. We'll have some time for some questions. I'll talk a little bit about uh, supporting practice going forward. But before that, I wanted to just uh, sum something up, just in case it's helpful. Um, As I've been pointing out at various times during our retreat together, we've been cultivating meditative qualities of mind. And I took the time at various points to name those quite specifically from the early Buddhist tradition as the factors of awakening, of mindfulness, you know, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. You know, the mind is just the mind. But you can say these seven things, inquire into whether they're a good schema for understanding the development of the meditative qualities and how how they work together. I think that they're excellent. Um, But really, it's just a way of naming what is wordless, of course. And um, so when I speak about meditative qualities, that's a a doorway in. But to what it means to you in your experience, meditative qualities, right? So the pause is the sati, the mindfulness, the relax, is the tranquility and concentration primarily. The dhamma-vijaya investigation, you could say, is speak the truth, you know, when you're investigating what's happening now. And open is this spaciousness that actually invites us into relationship. And uh, so all the qualities of awakening are relational. And uh, trust emergence has to do with adaptability of mind and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and um, all by itself, one of the things we know from traditional meditation practice, without anything else added, developing meditative qualities of the mind is powerfully transformative. Without outside teachings, without anything else, you could just sit by yourself, really develop these qualities to a high degree, and it really would be effective in helping come to some uh, insight and understanding that would be freeing in some way. So let's just say There's meditative qualities of the mind, and however you name them. It's also the case, and I pointed this out, and now at the end of retreat, I pointed out again, that when the mind is developed in this way, it becomes particularly sensitive, and not just sensitive, astute, balanced, clear, Uh, aware of what's going on and able to remain present, and even when concentration is really high, penetratively aware. 
and um, it's into that field that we plant the seeds of Dhamma, right? So that there's not just you sitting there by yourself, there's these contemplations, and those contemplations say, okay, there's, you're just sitting with the human experience, but have a look over here, have a look at suffering and release. Have a look at tanha, right? So you put into this container some teaching, but all by itself, the teachings that are profound, root teachings like this, are liberative. If you just came to a talk, let's say I was in your town, and I spoke about tanha in a meaningful way, a way that touched you, it would change your heart, naturally. Any real wisdom offered through, just through the words, if you're ready, really changes the mind. It transforms our relationship with experience and, and something can let go. So all by itself, wisdom is powerful. All by itself, Dhamma. If you just study Dhamma, but really, really study it, really take it in, you know, really let it touch, but don't do too much meditation, that Dhamma will do some work. We have a bit of an anti-intellectual society because concept has so taken over our lives in this you know, information age. There's all kinds of information and we feel real separate from it. And so, generally speaking, you know, the conceptual, the role of concept on the spiritual path gets, uh, frankly, uh, sadly diminished. And it's also true that, there, that the direct experience is beneath the words. I say that all the time. And so one can say, well, the only true meditation or the only true mystical development is completely independent from words. I simply, I'll, I'll, I'll just candidly say that's not true because at least you heard that idea from someone, you know, or at least you developed the capacity to exist in this world in an intelligent way through the support of language. But the actual development of meditative qualities includes, you know, look over here, what is sati, or perhaps just someone says, okay, just sit with the breath. And that doesn't say anything else. Sit with the breath. Then if you have trouble to say, well, that's okay. Don't worry about thinking, just come back to the breath. Those are words. And then you say them in your own mind, right? So all the way up, as I said, through the first jhana, this language is operating even when you meditate. And there's a point where it lets go, and a point in vipassana where it comes back in. Right? So vipassana, when it's skillful, works at that boundary, because just a slight little bit of look over here is also part of it. And then, obviously, completely, the concept is vanished. You know, it's let go of. But by itself, that dhamma, is actually can be, has a liberating uh, effect. And so let's call this the Dhamma. There's the Dhamma, there's uh, meditation, you know, but let's call this wisdom so you don't just think I'm talking Buddhist. I'm talking generally. Wisdom teachings are transformative.
and where they overlap is extraordinarily powerful, right? That's where the mind really is bright and can know directly. That's where you can be pointed because there's, there's this wisdom pointing and you can drop it and experience it. Right? So at the overlap of the meditative qualities and the input of wisdom, powerful stuff. Powerful, powerful stuff. Much more powerful than just meditating on your own somewhere off in the woods only all the time without any wisdom input. Now, if you just go see a teacher once a year, that might be enough. At different stages, different amounts of specific teachings might be helpful. For some people, they immerse themselves in the Dhamma part more often, in the wisdom part. There's different styles, different needs at different times, right? So it's not to say that one path is okay, one's not. But to say where they intersect, you know, is, is extraordinarily powerful. Perhaps you have touched here on this retreat the power simply of being in relationship with another person, being with another person. But we can even leave aside being on retreat and look at our lives, and look at where are our greatest sorrows and grief and pain. It's with other people. This is, this, this is what is, you know, without more than one person, you can't have a war, you can't have a lawsuit, you can't have an argument, you can't have murder. But without one other person, you can't have love, you can't have compassion, you can't have service. And incidentally, you can't survive, but that's another issue. So relationship is powerful for ill, and it's also powerful for good. And in relational practice, the I can't say all by itself relationship is powerful for transformation towards the good. It has to have at least a droplet of understanding, to turn towards the good, to know what good is. This word, what the Buddha talked about, the path starting with right view. But with just the inclination towards what is wholesome, whatever that means to you, relationship is a powerful force to accelerate and develop that wholesomeness. So. In the case, for example, where relational practice comes together with wisdom fully and we really investigate root teachings, in that investigation, your depth will be accelerated from doing it on your own, depending, of course, on the, on the quality of who you're with in, in the case of study. But in the case of love, it doesn't matter who you're with. I mean, if it's a challenging person, you can develop love for that. What great practice. If it's a loving person, whoa. You know, and that reflected love, where it goes back and forth, it's intensely powerful. Where relationship and meditation overlap, you've been touching, you've been developing the sati, the mindfulness, in this reflective container. 
where there is this mutual reminding and the investigation, the energy. I don't know what you experienced, but it can be very enlivening to your practice where your practice may otherwise be quite dull. You sit there and most of the time your mind wanders or you feel sleepy. And then you sit down in relationship and it's like you hardly even say anything and at least you're present, at least you're awake, at least you're kind of here pretty much. Um, but where that actually touches into this resonating quality where the mindfulness gets so bright, you know, really luminous, powerfully luminous in this between, and then attending to this moment of experience and this between becomes the object itself of awareness, of concentration. And here we are, completely the mind resting on this one point of this, of this relational field. And the mind can get extraordinarily still. Extraordinarily still. Unto absorption. And in that, because relationship is so much the crucible where the self comes to exist, any manifestation of selfing is ex extremely obvious in this moment. This becoming gets in the way, doesn't it? It, it blocks, and the sensitive mind knows that. And if it's able in that moment, if it's ripe, it will let go. And anatta is extremely common. Without any wisdom uh, teaching about non-self, you don't have to have that teaching. It just is known. Just at this intersection of relationship and meditation. In Insight Dialogue, it's slowly been coming clear to me that it's this place where all three overlap. Where the power of the meditative qualities is really developed or even present at all, where the Dhamma or root wisdom teachings are available and where the power of relationship is active and enlivening and accelerating and settling exactly that. So the, these three factors of our human life, the relationship, the wisdom, and the meditation come together and there's a synergy that uh, might be experienced. Again, I don't want to suggest what your experience has been, nor do you have to believe anything I'm saying, by the way. This is just some observations and I offer them in closing because it, give, it might give you something to reflect on when you reflect on your practice going forward, when you reflect on the nature of the spiritual path, or just on when you reflect, uh, you know, what was happening there? What was that? That was weird. You know, this is weird, what we're doing. Let's face it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a construct. It's, it's all fabricated, you know? It's like, okay. 
then you go home, you get in your car, you still press the same pedal to go fast, and you press the same pedal to slow down, and your front doorknob is probably the same doorknob, you know, it's just whatever it is. But then there's this thing here. You know, what's, what's to be known, that's all.